Well, welcome to Bring Calvary Chapel, and we, gl we are glad every one of you are tuning in. And I want to start off by making a few announcements. Um, we received notice that after the 15th, uh, they would not prevent churches from meeting together. They wouldn't enforce it. And so on Sunday, May 31st, Sunday, May 31st, we'll be ha we will be having our first um, public service for both the 9 and the 11 o'clock uh, teachings. And so if you feel comfortable in coming, we're glad to have you come. But we will continue um, broadcasting on Facebook and also our webpage and YouTube for those of you who possibly don't live in the area or maybe don't feel comfortable in coming. And on June 7th, which will be our second public service, we're going to have a big celebration. We're going to have a picnic, and the Lord willing, we're going to have a bouncy house for the kids. We're going to have games and chairs around for the old people to sit and, and talk and, and just gab. So we encourage you uh, to be considering the um, May 31st, uh, first public gathering, and also the June 7th celebration gathering. Okay, those are our announcements. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name because there truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And Father, men must be saved. There is no hope without you. And for us, we realize that our greatest responsibility is sharing this hope with those around us. So I pray that you would put the spirit of evangelism in every one of us who believe that we might make the most of every opportunity in sharing our faith. And Father, I pray your blessing on the teaching this morning, that it would encourage each one who is um, listening, and those few that are attending here, and I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would anoint and use me to speak your truth to these, your people, I pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen and amen. You know, once again, we're going to be noticing, by the way, we're in Numbers chapter 19, we'll be picking up with verse 1, actually, we'll be covering the whole chapter but Numbers uh, chapter 19. And uh, once again, we're going to be seeing that the Bible is one consolidated group, uh, book. You know, some people think of the Old Testament and the New Testament almost like they're, they're two different books. They're not. Because the Old Testament is showing us that the Messiah would come and the reasons for which he would be coming. And the New Testament shows us he has come and what he has given that we might continue the ministry that he has placed on each one of us. The ministry, ministry isn't just mine. The ministry is all believers. And so um, we're going to be looking at this portion of Scripture, and we're going to be very specifically looking at the ashes or the sacrifice of the red heifer. And it's very interesting here because... Uh, the, the sacrifice of a, of a female cow, the red heifer, is very, very significant because it's hard for us speaking English language to understand that in other languages, like in the Hebrew, you can have the feminine tense used and it doesn't have anything to do with whether you're male or female. And for instance, the, the masculine tense is used for strength, like for war and so forth, and the feminine tense is used in the Hebrew for like creating or caring for. So whether you're a man or a woman, you might have the opposite tense used depending on 
what you're doing. And so in this, we're going to be looking at what the purpose of the red heifer, the reason it is a female cow that is being used, because it's for cleansing, and it's for purification from sin. Now, in Numbers chapter 19, we're going to pick up with verse 1. Numbers 19, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you, bring you a red heifer. Now notice it says, Without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which the yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may uh, take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar, the priest, shall take some of the blood with his finger and sprinkle some of the blood seven times directly on the front of the tabernacle. And some people uh, believe this relates to the fact that there are seven, seven parts of Christ's body that became bloody during his sacrificial death. We know he, he was whipped. His back became bloody. They put a crown of thorns on his head. His head became bloody. And also, they uh, pierced his hands and his feet. That's six. Then they pierced his side. That's seven. So some people believe that the sprinkling of the blood seven times related to the sacrifice of the Messiah that would come. And um, verse 5. Then the heifer shall be burned in the sight, um, in his sight, that's Eleazar, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its orful uh, shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood, and pay attention to this. We're, we're going to uh, talk about it in a minute. And the priest shall take, uh, shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe in water, and afterwards shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then the man who is clean, then a man who is clean, shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. In other words, we're talking about continuous cleansing. Uh, it is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever for the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. He who touches a dead body uh, of anyone shall be unclean seven days. And then the rest of this portion goes on about talking, and it speaks of talking, uh, of touching unclean uh, things like the bones of a man or bodies and so forth, those killed in war. And we'll uh, give a general understanding of that in a moment. But uh, the point we're looking at here is the purpose of uh, the sacrifice of the red heifer and what it means. And like so many other verses in the Old Testament, this portion is an allusion to the work of the coming Messiah, the Messiah who was about to come. And it's absolutely amazing when you see the correlations between the two. And um, we, we're going to find that this sacrifice, the sacrifice of the red heifer, was for the forgiveness of sins, for the purification of sins, future, 
present and future. So, in other words, this wasn't an atoning sacrifice for sin, for the sin nature. This is for the continuous sacrifice for sin. And that's the reason that we're only finding this particular sacrifice mentioned here. You don't find it in, in Exodus uh, or Leviticus, but you find it right here. Now, like the red heifer, <clears throat> we have to understand the correlations between the red heifer's sacrifice and how it pointed to the sacrifice of the coming Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Like the red heifer, Jesus was without any blemish. He was perfect. He was pure. And yet, the one who offered the sacrifice, for instance, of this, of this heifer, uh, was to also be without blemish and pure. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, a priest that would offer up the sacrifice of the red heifer had to be pure without any sin. And according to the Talmud, which are the writings of the Jews, their historical, historical books, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he could not understand how a clean priest could offer a clean sacrifice and become unclean. That was amazing to him. He couldn't understand it. But we can only find the answer in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, of course, was pure. He was clean. He was without any sin. But when he offered up himself for the sins of the world, he became unclean in the sense that all the sin of the world had fallen on him. And, of course, we find a prophecy of this in, in the Psalm, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus was on the cross at the time that the sin of all the world, all of your sin, all of my sin were upon him, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was prophesying, um, you know, he was quoting Psalm 22, which was a prophecy of his sacrificial death. And so you see, Solomon was amazed, you know, how could you have, you have this clean priest, he's offering a pure and clean sacrifice, and yet he became unclean. Here you have Jesus Christ, who is absolutely perfect, clean, pure, holy, no sin, nothing on him. And yet when he was offered, he offered himself. He was also the high priest. When he offered himself, then all of a sudden he became unclean. But he became unclean because of your sin and my sin. How amazing is that? How wonderful is that to consider the fact that our sin... Every one of our sins, and we all know that there are sins in our lives that we haven't ever shared with anyone. Those sins have been completely purified and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. How wonderful to know that we were lost, now we're saved. And that's why I love what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And if you want to uh, turn to it, and I hope some of you who are watching, those of you who are here, that you take notes too, because it's worth writing these verses down so you can go back and, and look at them as well. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21, it says this. For he, and in your Bible, it's a capital H because it's talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about the Lord. For he made him, so now you're talking about Jesus, so the he here, of course, is God, Yahweh. He made him, capital H, you know, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, what amazing sacrificial love that is. Because 
God desired so much for fallen man to come back into intimate relationship with him. He loved fallen man, this world, so much that he gave his, what, only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why is that? Because we believe in the sacrifice that he gave. We believe that Jesus died for the sin of the world. And if we offer that sacrifice as propitiatory on our behalf, then all of our sins are forgiven. And therefore, we're able to come back into right relationship with the Lord. But the amazing thing is that even after we are born again, and we're, ju we're justified before God, we're saved, we use that term, we still fall to sin on occasion, don't we? And it's beautiful because I think we have an example of that in the upper room just before Jesus was uh, um, sacrificed on the cross. And remember, he went around and he took his outer clothing off, he put a towel around his waist, and he went around to wash his disciples' feet. Now, you have to understand that the job of washing the disciples' feet was the lowest job in any household. The slave who washed the feet of those who entered into the house because you know, their feet were dirty from the dust and it was considered unclean. The, that servant was the lowest servant in the house. He wasn't even allowed to eat with the other servants. That's how low this position was. To give you some understanding of what it meant when Jesus knelt down before his disciples with a towel wrapped around himself and started to wash their feet. And then when he came to Peter, you guys all know what Peter said, not so, Lord. And Jesus said, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Peter says, well, give me a whole bath then. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, you don't need a whole bath. He said, one who's clean only needs their feet washed. Well, how does this relate to the red heifer, and how does it relate to us? Well, here's the reason. You and I are born again of the Spirit. We've been made clean. We've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We're clean. We're purified by the love of God. But we walk in a dirty world, and our feet get dirty. Sometimes it's our own, sometimes it's our own choosing. We choose to walk in the direction or in ways we shouldn't walk. But sometimes it's not. We just find ourselves walking in the dirt. You know, maybe where you go to work or wherever you are, you, you know, and, and you hear and you see all these awful things. But anyway, we find our feet getting dirty. And so what can we do? We confess and, re and repent. You know my favorite verse. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us. And another word for that is wash us of all, you know, uncleanness. And so when we go before the Lord, it's like the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water for cleansing. We go before the Lord, we say, God, forgive me, I've sinned. And he does. We're not talking about our justification because we've already been born again. But yet as believers, we still need that daily cleansing. And that was the reason and the purpose of the ashes of the red heifer, which we'll get into in a little bit more detail in a moment. Because it's interesting, I don't know if you noticed it, <clears throat> excuse me, but all other sacrifices that we have studied in, in uh, Exodus and also in, in Leviticus, all other sacrifices were offered in the tabernacle or the temple. But this one was offered outside the temple, outside the city. Well, why was that? What's so important about that? Well, go to Hebrews 
chapter 13 and verse 2. Hebrews 13, 2. <clears throat> so in Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, please. In Hebrews chapter 13, <clears throat> in verse 2, it says this. Hebrews 13, 2. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Is chapter 13, verse 12? Chapter 13, verse 12? Sorry. Anyway, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate or outside the city. And it's, it's so wonderful to see the correlation here. And I don't know how anyone can look at prophecy being fulfilled. You have the ashes of the red heifer and all the purposes for it and the reasons, and then you see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How can you see that and not recognize who Jesus is and not recognize how amazing Scripture is? It's absolutely amazing. And um, I want you to turn to Titus. I'm going to read a couple portions of Scripture here. Titus chapter 2 and go to verse 11. You know, we have to remember, too, like I was uh, mentioning here, that <clears throat> our initial cleansing from sin, the sin nature, comes in our justification when we receive Christ. And I just want to encourage everyone that there's not any secret formula to becoming a Christian. There's not some magical thing you have to do. There's not a, a, <clears throat> a list of liturgic, liturgical um, you know, steps you have to go through. Being a Christian, being born again, being cleansed by the blood of Christ is very simply going before the Lord, recognizing who he is, recognizing who we are as sinners, and saying, God, forgive me a sinner. And he will. And he'll fill you with, your Holy, with his Holy Spirit that you might walk hard after him. But even as believers, as we've been mentioning, we have those times that we need that continuous cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> okay, in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every, every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So, once again, what we're looking at here <clears throat> is Jesus Christ has cleansed us and continues to cleanse us that we might have a right relationship with him. It's not just a matter of us being justified, being born again, but to continue having a right relationship with him. <clears throat> Hand me that fine. Because the fact is, sorry guys, got a frog in my throat. Ready? Mm. Oh, how wonderful. What'd you put in that? No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> because, you see, even though we're born again, we can fall out of fellowship with the Lord and with other believers. We don't have that connection, that, that closeness with him because we've allowed our minds or our hearts or even our deeds to fall away 
from following the Lord. And I think all of you have had those occasions that you recognize, I'm just not where I should be. And you don't feel that communion. You don't feel that fellowship with the Lord. But then you go before the Lord and say, God, forgive me. And you get back into the Word, and you start spending more time in prayer, and you start feeling that closeness with the Lord just reconnecting. In Hebrews, if you want to turn there, chapter 9, <clears throat> chapter 9, starting with verse 27. And I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. And it is appointed for men to die once. That's all God wants us, to die once. Okay? And after that, judgment. Now, let me explain. When you get into the book of Revelation, it talks about a second death. But that's only for the unbeliever. And the second death is the lake of fire. And so we have to understand... For you and I as believers, it's only appointed to us to die once, physically, not spiritually. Die once, and after that, the judgment. You know what the judgment is when you die once as a believer? Innocent. You don't have to be worried or waiting for the jury to come back. The jury has already made its determination the minute you accept Jesus Christ, not guilty. And so verse 28 goes on to say, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So this is a beautiful illustration for the work of Jesus' continuous work in our hearts and lives. The ashes of the red heifer were gathered by one who was ceremonially clean and stored in a clean place outside the city. That's verse 9, if you want to go back and look at it. <coughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. <coughs> what do they say? you got a frog in your throat. I wish I could jump out. But <coughs> anyway, I, I just love it that it tells us the ashes of the red heifer were gathered by one who was ceremonially clean, and then stored in a clean place outside the city for continuous cleansing. Now, the reason I find that interesting is because in, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 53, it tells us Joseph of Arimathea was a devout, or in other words, that means a clean man, and he placed the body of Jesus in a tomb outside the city that was clean, in other words, was never used. See how many correlations there are? It's amazing to see the prophecies fulfilled. <clears throat> and there are so many more correlations that we don't even have time to look at it. For instance, the cedar wood, the wood that was used to make crosses when Jesus was sacrificed, the scarlet that was put in the uh, offering with the red heifer in the fire represented the scarlet cross or the scarlet robe they put on Jesus to mock him. And uh, also... The hyssop is where they put the sponge with vinegar on to lift it up to Jesus. Those were all thrown in the fire of the ashes of the red heifer. Do you think all that is coincidence? I don't think so. And that's why it tells us in Romans 15:4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, <clears throat> considering everything we've just looked at, the prophetic implication of the ashes of the red heifer are so amazing. Now, 
The ashes of the red heifer were mixed with water and used to cleanse the temple mount and the temple and all the articles of the temple or the tabernacle. And also it was used to cleanse the Levitical priesthood and also even the furnishings of the temple. So the ashes of the red heifer were necessary for the cleansing of the worship area for the Jews to cleanse the temple, to cleanse the priest, to cleanse the, you know, all the articles used in it. And they would take some of the ashes, just a pinch of the ashes of the red heifer, when they burn it completely, and then there was a big urn of ashes that they would get from it. That's what they would use to put a pinch of it in the water for purification or cleansing processes. <clears throat> and so we have to understand, in the d days we're living in, near the second coming of Jesus Christ, we often hear people talking about the third temple. But realize it's, pro it's prophesied that there would be a third temple. Did you know that? It's prophesied that sacrificial worship would uh, begin again. And for instance, in Daniel 9.27 it says, Then he, talking about the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week or seven years, a week of years. <clears throat> but in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination, he shall, he shall make one who is desolate, even until the consummation which is determined to be poured out on the desolate. In other words, what it's talking about is during the tribulation period, at the very beginning of it, there is going to be a covenant made with the people of Israel, with the Jews allowing them to continue or to, you know, uh, recontinue um, to begin their sacrificial worship once again. And halfway through that, he breaks the covenant. And as we study Revelation, you really need to read Revelation over and over again. As we study Revelation, we understand that halfway through uh, the tribulation, the Antichrist wants to be worshipped as God, and he puts a wing on the side of the temple and says, Sacrificial worship stops because I'm God. And that's exactly, you know, what this portion in Daniel is telling us. But what I want to bring it back to is the fact that they cannot, you know, we're talking about the, the building of the third temple. Orthodox Jews will not even go up on the Temple Mount. You know why? Because they're unclean. And there's no way for them to be cleansed. Not even the high priest will, will go up there. They, they call him the chief rabbi. But he won't even go up there because of the possibility of standing someplace where the Holy of Holies might be, and he's unclean. So we have to understand the importance of the ashes of the red heifer. The ashes of the red heifer are necessary to cleanse the temple mount and to cleanse the priest and to cleanse all the articles that would be used in the sacrificial worship. So the point being that this sacrificial worship cannot start until the ashes of a red heifer are made available. You follow the point I'm making? And so when we are looking to the times in which we're living, we have to realize that how important it is for the Jews to have a red heifer in order to sacrifice, in order to have the ashes for cleansing, for the temple to be built. And by the way, just at that time or just prior to it, the rapture of the church takes place. Because until the church is taken out of the world, sacrificial worship will not begin. Scripture is very clear on that. 
Now, let me just share a few history things with you that I think are interesting. <clears throat> On May 14, 1948, Israel declared itself a nation, and it set the prophetic clock to the last hour when Israel became a nation. There's never been any other time in history, you know, since the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. by Titus Flavius Vespasian. There's never been another time in history that we're right there. The clock is being set. Israel is a nation again. I mean, how amazing is that? I have uh, old commentaries, and if you have it, you can look it up. And by uh, um, 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 no, Adam Clark. And if you look in it, when it talks about those prophecies that were, would relate to the Israeli people becoming a nation again, he says that's not possible. It has to be taken spiritually. Because back then in the 1800s, there was no way they ever thought the children of Israel would be back in their own land speaking the, the Hebrew that Abraham would understand. How amazing is it? So anyway, um, here they are. They're back in the land. And then, if that wasn't enough that the Jews are back in the land, on uh, June uh, 6, 1967, is what we call the beginning of what was the Six-Day War. And during the Six-Day War, Jer Jerusalem was taken by the Jews, and the Jews now possess the Temple Mount. Even though they gave authority to it, um, you know, to supervise it to the Jordanians, it still belongs to Israel. It's their land. And it's their Temple Mount. And, of course, when the Jews took Jerusalem, it now set the prophetic clock to about maybe quarter of 12, quarter of midnight. And um, now what's so amazing... Well, let me just share this here with you, too. This is brand new if you haven't seen it. You need to go on YouTube and look up Amir Serfati. He's spoken here at our church. He's been our guide different times we've gone to Israel. And Amir Serfati has a new two-part series out on the Israeli wars. It's really excellent. It's, it's, it's really well done. So if you go on YouTube and then just put in Amir Serfati and, uh, and Behold Israel, and you'll see that on the, on the wars. It's absolutely amazing. Now, like I said, at this point, they um, gained control uh, of the Temple Mount. And man, we're... 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes of midnight at this point in, in um, 1967. And um, now here's what's happened now that's really amazing. So now you have Israel becoming a nation. Now you have Israel in the Six-Day War taking Jerusalem and having control of the Temple Mountain. So it's now possible for them to build a temple. Now understand that the word that is used there could mean tabernacle. Because so many people have said, it would take years. Think of how Solomon's temple was. It would take years to build it. You have to understand, the Holy of Holies wasn't as big as this room right here. I mean, the, the, the tabernacle wasn't as big as this room right here. They could build a tabernacle or, or a temple this size in days. So it's not a matter of, well, they need all kinds. Of, they, they have, if you go to the Temple Mount Institute when you're in Israel... Everything's there. They have all the articles for the temple. They have the menorah. They have the table for the showbread. They have the, uh, you know, the, the altar of incense. And you know, they don't have the Ark of the Covenant, at least not that we know of at all. But 
They have everything. They have all the garments for the priests. They even found the snail that they get the purple dye from for the priest's garments. I mean, it's just amazing. Everything's there. So just like that, they could, you know, possibly build the temple. But no red heifer for the cleansing that they can use the temple. From the time the temple was destroyed by Titus Flavius Vespasian in 70 A.D., there has not been one flawless red heifer born in Israel until August 28, 2018. And the Temple Mount Institute and all kinds of priests and numerous experts have gone in and have been examining this red heifer because it can't even have a white hair on it. It's got to be completely pure. And it's interesting, it's a red heifer for cleansing, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Interesting correlation there. But anyway, this red heifer has to be at least two years old before it can be sacrificed for the cleansing of the, of the temple mount, cleansing of the temple artifacts, and the cleansing of the priest. And so this red heifer was born August 28, 2018. So the two-year period in which the red heifer has to remain clean, which to this day it still, is un, it still is completely clean, not unclean, I'm sorry. It is still completely pure. It has no red, uh, white hairs on it at all. That would be uh, August 28, 2020, is when the red heifer will be two years old and ready for sacrifice and for the cleansing of the temple mount and for the temple artifacts and for the high priest to be able to offer sacrifices. To me, that's amazing. And also, one of the things that's interesting is that traditionally, according to the Talmud, in order to take the ashes of a new red heifer that has been sacrificed and to use it for cleansing, you take all the ashes and you put it in the urn, and you're supposed to take the ashes that are remaining from the last red heifer and mix it in. Well, I found an interesting article and it was talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. And um, there are 12 uh, caves. In fact, we've actually seen the caves in Israel. But there are 12 caves in which the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And they, uh, in archaeological digs, from uh, 1946 to 1956, they have dug out the 12 uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. And in one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it talks about the location of the last red heifer ashes and where they would be. And there is an account I found, whether it's true or not, that there is an archaeological dig, and they actually have found the ashes of the very last red heifer. I mean, to me, you see this in these kinds of things, and it's amazing. Now, the first red heifer was offered by Moses, which we're reading about here. The second, by Ezra. And they believe five between the time of Ezra and the taking of Jerusalem by the Romans, by Titus Vespasian. Some say there are ten, but most of my study has shown that there have been seven up to this point. And this red heifer, if he remains pure for another uh, few months, and they do offer him. Now, he doesn't have to be offered at two. He has to be at least two. They could wait until he's three years old or four years old. But anyway, I would imagine they'd want to do it as soon as possible if the red heifer remains pure. But anyway, um, the studies that I have looked at said he would be the eighth red heifer. 
Now, it's interesting because eight is the number of new beginnings. Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day. And so I just find that absolutely fascinating to me. And um, so now we have to realize with the finding of this red heifer and having everything ready in order to have, be able to do the purification process of the temple mount, of the temple itself when it's built, of the temple artifacts, and then of the priest that would be offering the sacrifice. Everything is ready. It's, it's right now. And so now I believe the clock is one minute before midnight. I really do. And I think that at any moment, like all this stuff that's going on with the coronavirus, you guys know as well as I do, it's not just the coronavirus. 1,250,000 people die in auto accidents in the United States each year. And 50% of those are because of alcohol. And they're not closing down bars, and they're not closing down liquor stores. There's something very odd going on. And I'm not necessarily saying that there are people in Washington and in world governments going, hee, 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 hee. I, I think it's, it's, it's a, a, a satanic thing. I think there's something going on. I'm not saying the coronavirus isn't real. It is real. I don't believe it's as um, dangerous as they say. In, in fact, any of you who do studies, you know the death rate is no higher than that of the flu. And yet they have all this going on. I think it's just pointing to the fact we're coming so close to the end. And I think as believers, rather than having our focus out here, you know, what's going on, what's going on, we need to have our focus up and saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and for the truth that we find in your word. And we pray, Father, that we really would have our heads lifted and our eyes gazing upon heaven and not the world around us, looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.